Thank you, Greg. Am I on here? Are we good? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I was going to say, after Greg shared on Philippians 4.19, I thought we could go home, you know? There's enough teaching there. We've all satisfied for this morning, but um, I'm really looking forward to, to sharing this morning, and um, I'm so glad Martin shared what he did right at the end there about just the Holy Spirit and how he gives life to our mortal body. I actually really needed to receive that, so thank you, Martin. Um, and so I'm talking today about walking in, the, walking in the Spirit of grace, walking in the Holy Spirit. And um, the past couple of weeks, it's, in a sense, it's a follow-on from what James and Jenna shared last week, because they shared on, if you were here, uh, they shared on moving from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. We are living from a place of rest, but we are responding to the Holy Spirit. And it, it's a beautiful life that we've been called to live yeah. as sons and daughters because now we are no longer led by the old covenant law but we are now led by the holy spirit Amen. it's a significantly better way to live and it's always been god's dream yeah. that we would be a people that are led by his spirit mm. we're no longer living in separation from god where god is up here and the holy spirit came and went like he did in the old testament now the holy spirit is in us and he's here to stay jesus said he will abide with you forever forever so let's just start here in hebrews 13 verse 9 and i just want to build a bit of a base for this morning's message and the author of hebrews says this says do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines for it is good that the heart be established by grace not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them so the author is saying this the, the context of hebrews is he's taking Jewish people out of the Old Covenant and into the New Covenant. And he says this, It is good that the heart be established by grace. Do not be carried about by various and strange doctrines. Now sometimes we get the idea that grace, if you preach too much grace, that's a strange doctrine. Like if you, these guys preach way too much grace. That, that's a dangerous doctrine. Where the author says the exact opposite. Do not be carried about by various and strange doctrines, but be established in grace. Be established in God's grace. So it is good that our hearts are established in grace. What does that look like? It means we are so established in the unconditional love of God. As Martin shared, that we may know the height, depth, width, and breadth of the love of Christ. When our hearts are established in His love, in His unconditional love, and His free favor towards us. Yeah. We are being established in grace. So, John 1 verse 16 says this of Jesus. I love John's revelation of Jesus. This guy who walked with Jesus, I just, I would love to see it. It's as if John, not that he had a favoritism from Jesus, but he just had a real intimate relationship with Jesus. And they call him the apostle of love. So when you read John's letters, it's just all about the love of God. And he had this revelation, and he shares this in John 1 verse 16. Says, and of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace so in other words when we encounter Jesus his fullness the fullness of Jesus we encounter grace for grace other translations say grace upon grace so that's when I mean if you think about the fullness of a person the fullness of God the fullness of Jesus we encounter grace upon grace and in that scripture that Martin shared I think it's that one when it says, I pray that you may know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
So in other words, when you're filled with the love of God, you're filled with His fullness. It, his love is His fullness. That is who God is. God is love. Okay. So, Brad Taylor shared this in uh, the awesome um, prophetic meetings that we had a couple of weeks ago. And he kind of said this is almost like the points of the new covenant that we need to be established in. And I'm going to share it this morning before we go and speak about the Holy Spirit. But in he- going back to Hebrews 8, verse 10 to 12, the author says this. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. That speaks of relationship. I will be their God and they shall be my people. It's like we are here walking in a journey with God. It's relationship. But it says there, I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts. For a long time this confused me because... We know we have moved from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. We have moved. We are no longer under law, but we are under grace. So what can he be speaking of here when God says, I'll put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And there's a great biblical principle where it says, let the Bible interpret the Bible. So in Romans 8, 1 and 2, it says this, Paul says this, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. In other words, we no longer under the old covenant law that brought sin and death. The law itself was good, but when we came under it, it brought sin and death. But the new covenant way is that we have received the Holy Spirit the law of the spirit of life. And that's why in Hebrews it says, it is a new and living way. It's not an old and dying way. And you can see this all throughout the Bible. When you compare the old covenant to the new covenant, the new covenant when we live by the spirit brings life. As Martin said, the Holy Spirit brings life to our mortal body. And how good is this? If we ever need it to be reminded, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And if we, if we want to live a life led by the Spirit, it doesn't look like being led in condemnation. Because the Holy Spirit does not witness no condemnation to us. Let me get, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So coming back to the, the, the main points of the new covenant, we've seen that I will be their God and they shall be my people. I will write my laws in their hearts. I will give them the Holy Spirit. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. What a comforting scripture to know that from the least of us to the greatest of us, we can all know God. It's like grace just makes the playing field even. There's no one better than the other. All shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. And knowing Jesus is what eternal life is really about. Jesus himself defined eternal life as this. This is eternal life, that they may know you, that they may know me. That's how he defined eternal life, knowing him. So eternal life doesn't start when we die and go to heaven. It started the moment you received Christ. You received eternal life, and the journey is getting to know him. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Mm. 
That is like the clause that holds the covenant together. I will remember their sins no more. I felt like when I was preparing this week, I just felt like the Holy Spirit saying, no more. I want you to preach no more. And then I thought, you don't want me to preach. You want me to preach no more? No, no, no. No more. My people need to know I remember their sins no more. We need to be established in this. This is God's. God prophesied this in the old covenant about the new covenant. This was always his desire and his dream. Okay. So just in case we weren't convinced by that in Hebrews 8, the author repeats it again in Hebrews 10 and says this, but the Holy Spirit witnesses to us for after he has said before, this is the covenant that I'll make with them after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their hearts and in their minds I'll write them. Then he adds, their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. But what I want to point out here, which was not seen in Hebrews 8, is that verse 15, which says, the Holy Spirit witnesses to us. What does the Holy Spirit witness to you today? That He remembers your sins no more. And this is huge because we sometimes walk around like the Holy Spirit is telling us everything we do wrong. Like the Holy Spirit is the one pointing out your sins. Let's look, and people talk about we, we speak loosely about the conviction of the Holy Spirit, as if the Holy Spirit is the one convicting every single time we take a wrong step. And I just want to show you what Jesus said about this, because this kind of settles the matter. Um, if, if, you, if you are the, someone that's believing that the Holy Spirit is convicting you of every single sin when you take a wrong step, I just want to show you what Jesus said about the conviction of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 7 to 11. Jesus said this, Nevertheless, I'll tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I, don't, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Sometimes we're still not convinced that it was to our advantage Jesus left and gave us the Holy Spirit. The helper, he's the helper. You see this several times. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the helper, the paraclete. He says this, and when he has come, the Holy Spirit. He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And I've heard people quote this verse, and then they leave it there. And they don't read on. Yeah. I'm so glad Jesus elaborated and expounded on the conviction of the Holy Spirit, so that we can be so certain about what the Holy Spirit is really witnessing to us today. Because it's painful to live with someone that's pointing out all your flaws. <laughs> and I'm going to give an example now. <laughs> so he says this, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me. Now remember, Jesus is here talking to his disciples. And he says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he's going to convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me. Who's he referring to? People that haven't received Christ. People that haven't received the gift of salvation through Christ. So the Holy Spirit convicts them of the sin of not believing in Him. Why? So that they may believe. Because the Holy Spirit draws all people to Christ. But some do not believe. And so He is convicting. I'm so glad the Holy Spirit convicted all of us of our sin when we weren't believers. Otherwise we wouldn't be here today. So He brought us 
to Jesus. And so he convicts the world, the non-believers, of their sin because they don't believe in him. Then he convicts people of righteousness because I go to my Father and you, disciples, see me no more. So he will convict you of righteousness because I'm going to my Father and you see me no more. It's as if when Jesus walked with his disciples, they knew they were right with him. They knew that, well, they didn't have the full revelation of the gospel of righteousness by faith, but they knew that they, they were good with Jesus, that there was that intimacy and that Jesus was on their side. And so when the Holy Spirit uh, came and he reveals the, the, remember the Holy Spirit bears witness to truth and the gospel is the revelation of righteousness by faith. Romans 1.17 says, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So when we receive Christ, when we, receive, when we believe the gospel truth, the Holy Spirit convicts us of righteousness. Because as sons and daughters of God, we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. And we are slow to believe that truth. <laughs> So we need the Holy Spirit to convict us of that truth. And then the Holy Spirit convicts the world of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now immediately when we read things like this in the Bible, we immediately think judgment, I'm being judged, I'm doomed. <laughs> because we have this, this wrong idea. Are we not established in grace? Our hearts are not established in grace. Yeah. But truly, it's the ruler of the world is judged. Mm. Who's that? Satan. And Jesus refers to him as the ruler of this world several times. So that is the Holy Spirit's conviction. Yeah. I trust that that is clear. Now, let's, uh, as I said, it would be painful if the Holy Spirit was the one convicting you of every single sin. And I, I was trying to think of an example yesterday and I came up with this. It's not the best. But imagine a, a husband and a wife, they've just gone to the shops and they're driving home. And the husband's driving but then he hits 125. <laughs> he hits 125. And the wife says, you're speeding, stop it. You're speeding, stop it. So the husband slows down, slows down, okay. Wife has said, I'm gonna slow down, slow down. <laughs> then someone cuts in front of the husband while he's driving. And of course, nobody in this church ever does this, but swears in the car, <laughs> beep. And the wife just shakes her head, shakes her head at the husband, not impressed. Then. The rest of the drive, the wife is looking at the speedometer to see if the husband is going over 120 and is continuously tracking to see if he is doing the right thing. Okay? And then the husband eventually says, I'm fed up with this. We were going to go home, make a nice lunch. I actually, I actually just want a burger. Let's just go to the drive-thru. So the husband pulls off, goes to McDonald's, gets a, orders a Big Mac, and as soon as he gets the Big Mac, takes a bite, and the wife looks and says, don't you say grace before you eat your food. <laughs> and, so imagine, imagine living with a wife like that. Of course, nobody is like that in this church. But here's the thing, quite a, a weird example, but here's the thing. Sometimes we think the Holy Spirit is like that in our lives. It's like, I said this wrong, oh, Holy Spirit, oh, he's convicting me. He's convicting me and he's making me feel condemned. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit, guys. That's not how he operates. So then I was thinking yesterday, in this example, what would the Holy Spirit do? 
or we've seen he convicts us of our righteousness but also he would warn but he does it in love he does correct but he does it in love there's never any condemnation and he's not seeking to bring to remembrance all your sins he is far more interested in bringing you to a revelation of Christ Look here, John 15, 26, Jesus said this, When the Helper, the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of me. The Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus. That is like His, his ultimate role almost in our lives, is to help us see Christ. Because in Christ, all things are held together. So the Holy Spirit takes the truth of Jesus and it's like he's excited to teach us about Christ he's excited to reveal Christ to us and Greg uses this example of you know he's never gone he's always with us but when we worship Jesus it's as if it's as if the Holy Spirit is like dancing because he's he wants to make the truths about Christ known to us okay so here's another amazing scripture when Jesus shares about the Holy Spirit coming, he says this, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, I, it, I've never really put these two scriptures together. If you had to Google scriptures on peace, you will get peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. But just before Jesus says, peace I leave with you, he says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Mm. It's as if when he gave us his spirit, he gave us his peace. So the Holy Spirit leads by peace. He will never force you to do anything. Mm. He will never drive you. You'll never be pushed to make decisions. It's always you being led you feel prompting, but it's not, you, you never feel uncomfortable by the Holy Spirit's leading because it's by peace. He left us with peace. So why am I not experiencing peace? Well, I believe Jesus answers that for us. He says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And it's exactly what Martin was sharing on this morning about choosing not to, take, not to be fearful about tomorrow. That's letting not your heart be troubled. And when, when you cast that care upon the Lord, that peace comes in. In fact, peace should always be there. But when there is an absence of peace, let go. Let go of your troubles, your concerns to the Father. That's His desire. He wants to take that upon Himself. He can handle it. Sometimes we can't. When we try to handle everything in our own ability, we become stressed because we look internal rather than to Christ. We look inwardly. We look at what we can do. It's like if I had to come here and think, Ooh, I've got to preach. I've got to make sure it's good. I've got to make sure it's that. It's like, no, I'm just trusting the Holy Spirit to preach this morning. I'm letting go and allowing Him to share the Word. And so it's this life of letting go and allowing His grace, the Spirit, to lead. Okay, so I just want to look at a few examples of the witness of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, just to reaffirm what the Holy Spirit witnesses to. And in Acts 14, verse 3, I love this scripture, and we've seen this in this church, but look at this. It says this, 
uh, speaking about the disciples who are ministering in a certain place, and it says, Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. The Holy Spirit is bearing witness to the word of His grace, because the word of His grace is the revelation through Christ. And so when that is preached, He bears witness to that word with signs and wonders. We're not chasing signs and wonders. We're preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. We're preaching the grace of God. We're preaching the gospel. And signs and wonders follow. So that is what the Holy Spirit was witnessing to in the book of Acts. Then Acts 10, 43-46. One of my favorite stories is when Peter is preaching in Cornelius' house. And there is so much in this story. But this is essentially how he ends his sermon. And granted, he's preaching to a whole lot of people who were Gentiles. And these guys, I mean, they, they weren't in covenant with God. They, they, they were not the Jewish people who had covenant with God at that stage. These, as far as the Jews were concerned, they were the chosen people. But now Christ has come. He's fulfilled the law. He's paid the price for everybody. And the Holy Spirit has come. And now Peter is preaching to, the, to these Gentiles because he's had a vision that God said, what God has cleansed, you should not call common. And so, Peter preaches this, and the conclusion of his sermon is, to him all the prophets witness that through his name, through Christ, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Whoever, whoever believes. Sometimes we look at other people and we think, yeah, this guy, this guy can make it. Yes, it's by grace. Whoever believes will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. While Peter was preaching, you are forgiven of all your sins by believing in Christ, the Holy Spirit came and fell. It's like the Holy Spirit saying, yes, this is the truth. Whoever believes in Christ will receive the forgiveness of sins. And the Holy Spirit says, I witness to this. And he fell upon all those who heard the word. And this word fell in the Greek is the same word that's used in Luke 15, where the Bible speaks about, where Jesus shares the parable of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son returns home, and the father fell on the prodigal son on his neck with kisses. The father embraced the prodigal son. And that's what the Holy Spirit did when Peter preached the words of grace. The Holy Spirit embraced the people. Joseph Prince says it's like a love hug. It's a love hug from the Holy Spirit. Okay. And then it says this, And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. <laughs> and as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. As I said, those of the circumcision, who's that? Those are the Jewish people. They were astonished. These guys, these Gentiles, we don't have anything to do with them. They, they have not been in covenant with God. And now they've just been told they've received the forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit has come and filled them. We haven't ourselves been filled with the Holy Spirit like this before. And these guys come and they receive the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's a new and better way. Because God desires all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. How did they know that they had been filled with the Holy Spirit? For they heard them speak with tongues 
and magnify God. Okay, I just want to quickly speak about this because there's a lot of misconceptions about praying in tongues and I believe it is an amazing gift for the body of Christ. And uh, I really just sense that because we uh, see people manifest things in certain ways, that can put us off from receiving the gift of God for ourselves. Because we, we see someone as very expressive and we're not expressive, we, we kind of say, well, if that's what praying in tongues is going to look like, I don't want anything to do with it. And so we've got to be very careful um, or rather be diligent to read the word for ourselves and see that, oh my, this is a good and perfect gift from our Father. This is, a, he only, if God gives, gives tongues as a gift, he only gives good and perfect gifts. So it must be for my benefit. And so these are just excerpts from 1 Corinthians 14, uh, where Paul is speaking a lot about the different gifts in the church. And he says this, this is verse 4, he says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So we can see here, when you pray in tongues, you edify yourself. You build yourself up. There's a scripture in Jude that says, Building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And that was like the lights coming on for me, is when I saw that when you pray in the Spirit, you're keeping yourself in God's love which is just so amazing because it must, I, I like to bring everything back to love. Everything must be motivated by love, compelled by love. And when you pray in tongues, it's not like a religious exercise and I'm going to look super weird. No, no, you're praying in a heavenly language where it's you and God. Mm. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So sometimes we don't always understand what we pray when we pray in the spirit, but we can receive interpretations. And look what Paul says again. He says, I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than all of you. So the apostle Paul, the great apostle Paul, clearly this was something he valued highly. If he says this, I thank God. I pray in tongues more than all of you. It's not a competitive thing. It's just that this is what I'm doing. The Holy Spirit's given us this gift. We're going to utilize it. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I might teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Makes sense. Like if I had to come and preach a whole sermon in tongues, it wouldn't benefit anybody. <laughs> Unless, of course, we received an interpretation. Yeah. And Carl does that beautifully, and he did that on Thursday nights as well. Praying in tongues, receiving an interpretation, and people are edified. Yeah. All spiritual gifts are to edify the body of Christ. Right. It's all to build each other up. Yeah. Okay. So tongues is an amazing gift, and it's for every believer. Okay. I'll just, uh, let me just read this. Um, we did an awesome series a couple of years ago on praying in tongues. And it was a book by Kenneth Hagin. And uh, I love this illustration he gives on receiving the Holy Spirit because different people manifest the Holy Spirit in different ways. And that's okay. So he says this. Let's say three people come forward to receive the Holy Ghost. One of, one of them receives and just stands there speaking very, very quietly with other tongues. Another receives and also speaks with tongues, but he gets so happy he runs up and down the aisle. <laughs> the third one speaks with tongues and dances a little jig for joy. Then he cries and hugs the people around him. Okay, three different manifestations. Then the next day, someone asks those who are present, what happened at the service last night? 
Well, someone says, three received the Holy Ghost, but two of them really received. <laughs> the person running up and down the aisle and the person dancing. The one that was praying quietly in tongues didn't receive. But the truth is, the two who showed more outward emotion didn't receive any more of the Holy Ghost than the person who spoke quietly in other tongues. And, and that is just so liberating. Because we, we each, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit's not weird. He's not weird. He's the Spirit of Christ. Everywhere Christ walked, He was filled with the Holy Spirit. So the way Jesus lived, if we are to live lives led by the Spirit, it's a life that reflects Jesus. But we react differently to the Holy Spirit. And that's cool. But don't be, don't be under the impression that if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I've got to like manifest somewhere. There's got to be like a breakout of joy. I've got to like dance or all of that. You can speak quietly and yeah. just have peace. Yeah. And that is just so freeing. The yeah. lights are turning. Yeah. Okay, so we sometimes don't feel the Holy Spirit. And many times it's a misunderstanding of who He is and how we see God. We, we sometimes don't feel Him, we don't sense Him. And I think the Holy Spirit just led me to share this, these scriptures because this will help us in our lives walk in the Spirit. It's Romans 8, 14 to 16. It says this, For as, led, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. In other words, sons and daughters are led by the Spirit. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so, when we understand the spirit we've received, we cry out, Abba, Father. It's not a spirit of bondage again to fear. This isn't talking about fear of snakes, fear of hearts. It's talking about a fear of God's punishment. We've received a spirit by which we cried, Abba, Father. There's, there's intimacy between you and God. Yeah. He's cool. There's peace. Yeah. There's peace between you and Him. And the Holy Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are His children. Beautiful. And so when we understand this, it says this, that for as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. So when we understand our place as sons and daughters, I'm at home in the Father's house. I'm inside the Father's house. I'm not outside in the fields. I belong inside the Father's house. Then we can truly live lives led by the Spirit because we understand our place. We understand that God has come and taken residence in us. Okay, don't have time for these. Don't have time for these. Okay, so let me just try to bring this to a close. Galatians 5, verse 16. It says this, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So let me just close with this. The focus of the Christian life is to not avoid the lust of the flesh. It's to walk in the Spirit. So good. That is massive. Yes. We're not waking up and trying to avoid sin and trying to avoid the lust of the flesh. Yes, we don't have any, we don't have any place with sin. That's not for the child of God. Yeah. We're called to live righteous and holy. But the focus is not on, I'm trying to stop the bad stuff. The focus is on, I want to walk in the Spirit. Inevitably, when I walk in the Spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That is the goal. That is what we go after. 
We are going after being led by the Spirit. And let me close with this verse. Romans 7 verse 6 from the Amplified Classic Version. It says this, But now we are discharged from the law and have terminated all intercourse with it, having died to once restrained and held us captive. So now we serve not under obedience to the old code of written regulations, but under obedience to the promptings of the Spirit in newness of life. What a beautiful scripture. Amen. The life we now live, we live by faith, and we live by following the promptings of the Holy Spirit. That is how we're called to live now. We're not living a demand-conscious life. God demands this of me. I need to do this better. Uh, and, it, and it can translate into everything you do in life. We're to live by the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water, Jesus said. So that, that is a symbol of the Holy Spirit living in us. And when we just obey the promptings of the Spirit, we live with life and peace. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Yeah. That is God's heart for us. So focus on walking in the Spirit. Enjoy life with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, the may the love of God, may the, the grace of Christ, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So it's the communion of the Holy Spirit. It's actually this verse. The communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Get to know the Holy Spirit in daily life. He leads us into the abundant life Christ has called us to live. Amen. And I need a hand over to Corinth. Thank you.